This morning, uh, we're going to be in a passage in 1 Corinthians. Uh, it's going to be chapter 4, and uh, I would invite you to be there with me in 1 Corinthians 4. And, uh, I, you know, I don't know how Casey normally does these kinds of things, but uh, Lord willing, we're going to go through this entire chapter, and that may seem ridiculous, but uh, I promise there's a plan. So here's what I normally do is uh, I'll read this passage out loud if you would follow along with me. And then once we have uh, read the whole passage, then uh, if you would let me, I'll just pray and ask for some help from the Lord uh, for myself and for you. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4. This is Paul speaking. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by, by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you've become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we've become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us. We're here gathered in this room, Lord, just as your children, with you as our great God and Father, 
and we need you. We confess it. We've sinned. We've fallen short. We've dragged ourselves into this place. But we know more than that, Lord. We were led here by you to be taught by you, to be forgiven, to be accepted. We ask you this morning if you would, as an act of your grace, Lord, not because of anything we've done or anything we deserve, but as an act of your grace, that you would meet with us here in this time, that your Holy Spirit would work your word into our hearts, that we would be changed, that we would not be the same people leaving that we were who arrived. This is a miracle from you, Lord, so we depend on you, we look to you, we trust you for it, we believe you for it, believing that it is your will that we would be sanctified, that we become more like Jesus this morning. So we trust you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So I, uh, when I was messaging with Casey about coming and preaching here, uh, I asked him uh, without, listen, if you're going to know anything about me and my personality, uh, you're going to find out really quickly that I'm not a planner. Uh, I, don't, I don't look more than like 10 minutes ahead of myself to understand what is going to happen in my life. It's just not how I'm wired. Uh, so when, when Casey threw the June 18th date at me, I said, well, is there anything in particular you want me to focus on? And he texted back in very Casey fashion, like maybe something about fatherhood. Uh, and so I felt kind of dumb. But I accepted the assignment. Uh, and, and here's what I want to do this morning, speaking to you about fatherhood, is, uh, is not to do some kind of, um, well, let me say it like this. Uh, my father-in-law has a friend who uh, knows that I am a, a pastor and knows that I preach often at our church. And seeing Father's Day coming up, he said, hey, look, tell your son-in-law that uh, every Mother's Day, it's like roses and everyone's falling all over themselves trying to make sure that moms are honored and, and adored and cared for and all these wonderful things spoken over their lives and how hard they work. And let's really just be a blessing to mothers. And then Father's Day comes around. And it's like, dads, you can do better. We know you could do better. We know you got more in you than you're currently giving. And uh, so, so give us a little more, dads. And um, and I know that that's uh, a typically a, a lot of times what happens on Father's Day. Um, and, and part of that is because men are kind of wired to accept challenges. Men, men want to be challenged. We want to have something put in front of us and, and almost to have it said, you can't do this. I don't, I don't know if you could handle this. And our chests kind of stick out. And, and we want to prove that we can do that. So I think sometimes people are uh, appealing to that when they make these kinds of Father's Day uh, sermons, but rather, here's what we're going to do is we're going to confess a few things together just right out of the gate before we even try to talk about fatherhood or understand God's will for it or our example that we would find in Him or anything like that. Let's just go ahead and confess that fatherhood is impossible for us. If we could do that, just go ahead and acknowledge that for any of us who have had a child for more than about 
30 seconds, we've realized there's an overwhelming sense of inadequacy that comes over us, that this task is too large for us. And if these children are to grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to walk in His ways, to love Him, that that's something we can't do. We can't create that. Now, we can work really hard to create the appearance of that. We can yell at our kids. We can put lots of rules in place. We can systematically teach them things so that they could regurgitate it in a systematic way. We can really give the appearance of our children walking in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, even if it's hollow. But to actually get to the heart of our children, that they would know the truth of God, that they would grow up to be mature, to be godly, to be wise. Because isn't this the goal of fatherhood? That you would pass something to your children that's greater than yourself? This is our goal. Let's just, let's just go ahead and admit that's impossible and just be okay with, with the truth of that being impossible. And once we come to that place where we acknowledge that, I think we'll find ourselves in a natural place of humility, not because we decided to humble ourselves, but because God is just holy and powerful and other and greater than us, and here we are realizing we're not. So there's just a humility that washes over us, and we realize our place before Him, our place of dependence, our place of need. So this is normally the point where people try to go, look, dads, we know, we, we know that you've got more in you that you could give, you could do this, you could be like this, you could say these kinds of things or work harder in this area, but we need to realize this morning that no amount of speaking and working and striving is going to create the things that we hope to see in our children. That has to be an act of God. So why 1 Corinthians 4? Why do we find ourselves here? I promise you, it's not because I did some kind of word search and found Father in the passage and was just like, okay, Father, there it is. We're here because there's something greater about fatherhood than just having children, making sure they don't die for 18 years, and then sending them to college. There's something more to fatherhood than that. And, and that thing that is more is this. That's what this is. So, for instance, Paul journeys along on his missionary journeys, and he comes into Corinth, and he preaches the gospel. He finds the Jews and then the Gentiles, and anyone who responds to the gospel, he welcomes them into this relationship of discipleship, of walking together, of learning Christ together. And after a period of time, he has to leave, but he keeps writing them and nurturing them and sending people to them. He remains an integral part of their life and their growth, their development as Christ followers. And he's writing this letter as a father, not as some distant friend, not necessarily really at the heart of it, you can tell here, not as an apostle, but like a dad speaking to his children whom he loves, he cares for. That's the way he's writing this. But then there's so much here in this passage that we see, and I'll, and I'll take you to another passage in just a minute about the heart of apostleship, which is a fatherly role. There's so much here that I feel like we could do one of two things with. We could be reading our Bibles and come to 1 Corinthians 4, and we could say, okay, so this is what an apostle does. This is what Paul did. This was his job. 
And then Father's Day comes around, and we don't ever think of things like this. We, we think about Father's Day stuff. We think about normal kind of dad stuff, about work hard and provide and teach and train and those kinds of things, right? And that's all good. That's, there's nothing wrong with those things. But if those things find their fulfillment, again, what the world calls success, then they're falling short. But this, I think, 1 Corinthians 4 provides the heart of a father, not just in the context of raise some children, keep them alive until they're out of your home, but more like walking with people in discipleship to truly raise them up in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. So here's what I want to do with you is take you on a bit of a journey through the heart of Paul as he's introducing this idea of being a father to the believers in Corinth. So start back up there at verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, I don't want to go beyond what Paul is saying, but you can see that what Paul's ramping up to here, when, when he comes down to the bottom of this chapter, in verse 15, is that he is a father in Christ Jesus through the gospel to the believers in Corinth. So I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but we're going to follow this line of thinking that he's building towards here. And look at what he comes right out of the gate with. This is how one should regard us. That is, those of us who have taken this mantle of fatherhood, of leadership. You should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Servants of Christ. Stewards of mysteries. In other words, not just stewards of households, stewards of vehicles, stewards of bank accounts, stewards of health and retirement accounts, and and bunk beds, and carpet cleaning. Stewards of the mysteries of the gospel, the truth of God. And what does a steward do? He cares for something that is not his, but he's been appointed to a task for a time. So these truths that we've been given, fathers, are not just for us. They're for those of us who've been, those who've been entrusted to us. So this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is serious, and he's going to go on here to describe how serious this is. Listen, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So, in this mission, in this goal of fathering them, of discipling and teaching them, leading in these mysteries of the gospel as a steward, whether or not he's found faithful is something that the Lord will decide. Not the children of the church, not his brothers who he leads beside, not even his self, but the Lord will decide. Which didn't just throws our minds to, well, what is the Lord's standard then of leadership, of fatherhood in the Christian sense? What is the standard? Well, I'll tell you what the standard is not. The standard is not, again, what the world describes success in fatherhood, in leadership. Because what the world describes as 
successful fatherhood, if we just want to boil it down to leading disciples who are growing up in your home, people that you're responsible for teaching and leading, success is honestly, in in the world's eyes, just um, make sure that your children get into a good college, make sure that they uh, uh, land a great job, and make sure they land a great spouse and get you some grandbabies. And if, it, and if you've accomplished those things, your kid went to a nice college, made good grades, graduated, landed a great job, went on, married somebody, had some babies, they're pretty, they're, they're handsome, and they're respectful, and everyone will look at you and go, man, great job, happy Father's Day. You're a model of fatherhood. Look at that. All your children and grandchildren are lined up here coming to church with you, you've gathered yourself a real flock and you are to be admired as a father. Do we know? Do we, know, do we really know if anything successful happened just by the fact that you had children and they grew up and they had children and here they all are with you? Do you know if there's any degree of success at all in the Lord's eyes just for the fact that that happened? In the world's eyes, yes. In the Lord's eyes, maybe. Maybe. But maybe not. Maybe as we see so often, what's really happening is a man has become the patriarch of a tribe and he's taught them how to live and how to admire him and how to walk in his ways, but there's a hollowness to it. There's a hollowness to it because really all they're trying to do is grow up to be like him or grow up to be the opposite of him but there's no real standard of growing up to be like Jesus. And that's our goal. That's our purpose, our mission, is that they would grow up to be like Christ. Paul's mission here in 1 Corinthians 4, and the Lord will judge this, and he'll judge rightly, and we want to be found faithful. Verse 5, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart, then each one will receive his condemnation from God. God will judge, God will reward for those who've been faithful. Verse 6. So verses 1 through 5, we we know that this is a serious task, this goal of leadership, this mission of being a steward of the mysteries of God's grace and being placed in this position of Authority, we know that it's a serious task. It's no small thing. The Lord will judge those who have been faithful and those who have not. Verse 6, I've applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? In other words, as if you earned it. In other words, as a leader, as this person with the heart of a father calling you to join Christ and become like Christ, to apply your whole life to being like Christ, first and foremost, apply these things to yourself. To yourself. Paul is not the kind of leader and the kind of father who puts heavy burdens on people's backs but then doesn't, doesn't lift a finger to help them carry them. 
He wants them to know everything I'm calling you to, everything I'm urging you towards, I'm carrying myself. I've applied all these things to myself. Verse 8. Now here he starts to speak in almost a sarcastic way towards them about their comfort, about their pride. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich without us. That is your fathers in the faith. You have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share your rule with you. Again, he's being kind of sarcastic with them here. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles. Now, listen to the way he describes this role of fatherhood, of leadership. He's not on some kind of pedestal to be admired. I think that God has exhibited us. We're on display as apostles, as last of all, last in line, like a procession of a victorious king whose captives are at the back of the train in chains following shamed and dishonored a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, to this very minute, he says, we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted, slammed. We're homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. Blood, sweat, and tears for their sake. No joyride. Laboring. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still and are still like the scum of the world the refuse, the trash, the garbage, the waste of all things. Why? Why did the apostles, these fathers in the faith, become the scum of the world for the sake of those who were coming after them? For the sake of their children in the faith, they were willing to be regarded as scum, to work their fingers to the bone, to bleed, for their children. Paul is a, is a man of grace and a preacher of grace. So verse 14 happens. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you. I want to bring correction to build you up, to correct your understanding so that you might walk in truth and not in pride. My beloved children. Now listen to what he says here in verse 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You have countless guides in Christ. Guides, people who say, go this way, go that way. No, don't go that way. Do this, don't do that. But you do not have many fathers. When he, when he says that in the Greek here, countless, you could also render that like 10,000. You have 10,000 guides, 10,000 people who are willing to tell you where to go and what to do, but you do not have many fathers. Many of those who abide with you, who stay with you through the difficult times, who weep with you, who are willing to say hard things to you, who bear your burdens, you do not have many fathers. 
he had become their father through the gospel. And it was rare for them to experience that kind of love and leadership. Now, I don't know what happens in your mind and in your heart when you read something like that from Paul, when we, when we follow his train of thought as we build towards this idea of children needing fathers. And of course, God is our great God and Father. He created all things and we've all been born from Him and we all bear His name and we belong to His household. Those of us who have trusted in Christ as an act of God's grace and through our faith in Him, not by our works, none of us can boast, but we look to Christ, we become grafted into and adopted into this family and God is our Father and yet there's something very poignant and powerful that the apostles always display, which is the fact that people need spiritual fathers. Yes, God's our Father. And by His design, He gives us fathers. And not just people who grew up in the same, that we grew up in the same house with them. And they always made sure there was food on the table. But people who would father us. Father us. This is a need in the church. And now, I don't know if when we speak of that need for someone to father you, and maybe it's going to get awkward because you're sitting next to your dad or you even came into town for today. I don't know, though, in your heart, is there this thing swirling around inside of you that feels lack? That feels a void? You want to be fathered. You want to be loved like that led like that, that someone would be willing to become the scum of the world, to be cursed, to be spat on, to be imprisoned, to bleed for you, to bleed for you, for your good, for your growth. This is a desperate need in the church. We have countless guides, brothers and sisters, countless, 10,000 podcasts. 10,000 pastors, 10,000 preachers, 10,000 counselors. Do this, don't do that, watch out for this or that, move to this place, take this job, marry that person. We do not have many fathers. We so desperately need fathers. So, coming to this point in the text, I know that I've kind of... <laughs> Did you guys already get, are, you guys are supposed to get some beef jerky or something this morning, aren't you? Whoever came up with that idea is brilliant and needs a raise. But whether or not you've received it, I, I know like there's supposed to be like gift and, and honoring you, and we do, we honor you, we honor you fathers. And, and I've even felt honored this morning. My family woke up and they had me breakfast with orange juice and all these things, and it was great. And I just, I got to just spend some time thinking and praying and all that, and that's, that's good, and that's what we want, but if we were to come into this room and leave this room, and everyone here was honored because they had birthed children, they had, they had offspring, and we didn't go beyond a worldly definition of fatherhood to say, what is biblical fatherhood? Where does it find its fulfillment? Where does it find its fullness? then I think we would be a monumental failure. So then we sit here in this room together, you and me, 
for those of you who have children, and for those of you who don't, we sit here having to recognize that there is a great need in the church, a desperate need in the church for fatherhood in the biblical sense, that we would be fathers as God is father, and that we would even be fathers like Paul is father. Look at verse 16, I urge you then be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church, that we would be teaching each other not just our children, although first and foremost, and of course, our children, that we would teach them the ways of Christ. But brothers and sisters, that we would be willing to expand the horizons of our calling to fatherhood and lead those outside of our homes, and not just for provision, not just for money and for food, not even just for words, to say the right things, Because what is Paul going to check up on when he rolls back through Corinth? He's not going to check up on what they're teaching, what they're saying. He's not going to check up on their words, but on their power. All these guides, all these people who want to lead you, they want to teach you, but they don't want to bear your burdens. When I come back through Corinth, we're going to see what kind of power they have. Do they have power from God, from God's Spirit? Are they sent by God? Do they bear God's calling and God's authority as fathers, as leaders, to bear your burdens, to bleed for you? Or do they just want to control you? Do they just want to be an authority over you? We'll see what kind of power they have. But in a very concise way, at the very end of the last verse of this chapter, Paul encapsulates for us in a question what it looks like to be a father in this way. What it looks like to have power from God to lead and to bleed for those in your care. He asks, what do you wish? What do you want? What do you want from me? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love? in the spirit of gentleness. There's a lot of things that we could say in, in this 14 through the end of the chapter here about fatherhood and about what it looks like to admonish and what it looks like to train and to model to be a faithful father. There's so many things that we could say and, and they would all be worthy things. But if I can just kind of back us up from the text and remind us of where we're coming from, the enormity of this task of fatherhood, of Christian leadership, Christian authority to speak into people's lives. They're looking to you. They're trusting you. And God's put you in a position to influence them. And if you were to take up that calling and that mantle as a father in these people's lives, again, not just the little human beings living in your home and looking to you for food, but those people in your life who have a need for fatherhood, for leadership, where there's a void. The enormity of this task, this calling, that it's important to God, serious to God, something that God will specifically judge. 
our faithfulness on. That even though people may feel like they have everything, if we realize they lack Christ, we know they have nothing. And we're willing to say that, willing to point that out, willing to apply these things to ourselves, say hard things, willing even to bleed so that they would know it, to become fools for Christ's sake, to become weak in the world's eyes, to be dishonored, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be beaten, to be homeless, to labor, working with our own hands, to be reviled, to be persecuted, to be slandered, to be the scum of the world and the garbage of the world so that people would know Christ. That we would be able to say these things and model these things in such a way that those who've been entrusted to our care by the Lord would see in us love and a spirit of gentleness. Love and a spirit of gentleness. Where do we find the source of this love and this gentleness? Of course, we find it in the Lord, in our Father. That the Father was not willing that we should perish, but He was willing to send His own Son and plan for sending His own Son to die in our place for our sins. There is no more fatherly thing that could be done. That kind of sacrifice, that kind of grace, the kind of patience we enjoy and grace we enjoy on a moment-by-moment basis, that we would breathe, that we would know God, that we would experience forgiveness. All these things from, come from God. It is His love. It is His spirit of gentleness. So then I would ask, fathers, is it your heart to father your children? In light of this passage, in light of this kind of standard, and, and at the end of the day, you won't know really and be able to judge yourself whether or not you've been successful, you've been faithful, but here's what you know you can do. You can submit. You can submit your life so that you would look upon this passage, see the heart of a father, and you could say, I don't want to be like me. I want to be like the Lord. I don't want to operate in my wisdom, but in the Lord's wisdom. Listen, as, as just an act of confession before you, so that you would know, truly, I say this as one of you and not as an expert. I don't know. I, I mean, speaking of countless, speaking of 10,000, I, I don't know how many times I've stood there in front of my children feeling tall, feeling justified, feeling mature, and look down at them and ask them questions like, how could you do this again? We've talked about this. I've taught you this. You're eight years old. I've spent eight years investing in you so that this moment wouldn't have to happen. How could this happen? And the Holy Spirit is always right behind me going, how could you let this happen? You got saved 25 years ago. I've spent 25 years investing in you so that this moment 
wouldn't have to happen. And that year, here you are lording your authority over a child who's looking to you to be fathered. That I wouldn't just come with a hypocritical rod, but I'd come with a spirit of love and gentleness because I'm a sinner. I need a father. And I've experienced the love and gentleness of the father. And to offer that to my children is my greatest calling as a father. And for those of us who are entrusted to lead others, to make disciples, which is, spoiler alert, all of us, we've all received this calling to lead with love, to give grace, to be patient, to lead others realizing we're being led. I want to um, turn your attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So if you're not super familiar with your Bible, just turn to the very next book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians, and then look at chapter 4. And I think if we've kind of now tapped into this fatherly heart of Paul and his desire, his passion for leading people to enjoy Christ, to know Christ, follow Christ... But if we've just kind of scratched the surface and it's kind of rubbed us raw and we realize we have a lot of growing to do, let's look here at 2 Corinthians. Again, Paul writing and again him talking about this role of apostleship, of Christian fatherhood. He says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. He just got done talking about people turning from wickedness to the Lord and being saved, and that now with an unveiled face we behold the glory of the Lord and we're being transformed into the image of Christ to reflect His character. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It is His ministry to sanctify. Now having this ministry, being stewards of this ministry, we do not lose heart. Why is it important for Him to say that? Why does it flow from Paul's heart that he would stop and say, look, we're not losing heart. If I can look you guys in the eye and share with you something I am certain that we have in common, it is the temptation to lose heart in the midst of a task too large for us. In the moments where you're most honest with yourself, in the moments where you're most honest and transparent with yourself, you're willing to acknowledge the ways that you're weak, that you're failing, that you're sinful, the ways you wish you were towards your children. When you look back over the last five years or ten years, or you look forward to the next five or ten years, and you realize you have nothing figured out. You start saying things to yourself like, I thought by now, dot, dot, dot. In those moments where you're brutally honest with yourself, it is so tempting to lose heart and stop trying. If I'm being honest, I, I've been in that place before. When I felt the temptation, looking at my children, not because there's something wrong with them, but seeing that there's something 
defaulted about my leadership. It defaults to the flesh. And I so badly want it to default to the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit and not give in to the flesh, not to lord my authority over them, not to fall short of the calling, not to be judged and found unfaithful. It's hard sometimes to not lose heart. I hope that helps you have a moment of honesty. And then here's where we're going to go from here is where verse 2 goes. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. That we would walk in the light. We'd be able to admit our failures, admit our weaknesses, our shortcomings, and just commend ourselves to you in the sight of God. Not tampering with God's Word, not ignoring it, not pretending it doesn't exist, not pretending that we've got it nailed. But in our hearts, renouncing disgraceful, underhanded ways, refusing to practice cunning, that is operating in our own wisdom or to tamper with God's Word, to highlight certain things and ignore other things, but just to be open, to be sincere, to be truthful, and to say this is who we are which means the most powerful moments that you might have with your children, fathers, is when you come back into the room and you say, I shouldn't have talked to you like that. Please forgive me. Sometimes I sin. Sometimes I fail, and that's not who I want to be. But that's where I'm at right now. Please forgive me. Please offer me grace. I found those to be some of the most powerful moments in my journey as a father up to this point. Verse 3, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, is it the fault of the apostles if the people don't know? No, it's not. They're going to serve faithfully. They're going to present the truth. And those who believe and those who do not is not under their control. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Which brings me to this basically final point. There is no thing in this world, no thing in this universe, in all of creation that can match that can compare to, that can line up with, that could be on par with the glory of the majesty of Christ. There is no thing that we can look to and we could behold and we could be as enamored with and we could enjoy as deeply as the majesty of the glory of Christ. He is all in all. He satisfies. He's deeper than any other well. He's more rich, more flavorful, more redeeming, more worth it than any other thing we could pursue. Jesus even said that he's like a treasure buried in a field 
And if someone sees that it's buried there, he'll go and sell everything he has so that he can buy that field and have the treasure in it. He's willing to give up everything, walk away from everything, disown everything for the sake of having Christ. Now, if this is our personal journey to know the most satisfying treasure it could ever be offered to us, then how much more do we want to devote ourselves to making sure our children and those in our care can enjoy that satisfying treasure? What else would we offer them? What else would we offer anyone? Ourselves? Offer them ourselves? Only as much as they see Christ in us. Only as much as we can point them to a greater thing, a greater leader, greater example, and a greater Savior. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. If we compare what the world says is success in fatherhood to what the Bible says is success in fatherhood, for one thing, we realize that the parameters come off. It's not just you and your offspring. There's an expanded household, isn't there? There's an, there's an expanded household. Those who are looking to me, those who trust me, those that God's put in my life and given me influence over them. This is where fatherhood expands into in the church. And then we also see that the measure of success outside of those parameters is much greater than just maintaining some level of tolerance with each other. That we could survive together. That you and I would both be able to be happy people. There's something much deeper than that. Something much greater than that. It's that even if we should die for the sake of something we can't find in this world, it would be worth it. Something that you don't see with your eyes, that you don't hear with your ears, something that you can't pull out of your pocket and spend on treasures and riches and satisfactions and comforts. Something much deeper, much more satisfying. This, this is what we offer our children in this expanded household. We offer them Christ. Now, what that does for us is makes us realize return to, have to acknowledge that this thing we're hoping to see accomplished through us as fathers is truly impossible for us. Truly. But we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Well, why? What, because we sat through a sermon and we made some decisions or something like that? Because we read a passage and we learned something we'd never learned before and, and maybe that didn't even happen for you this morning. Maybe just being reminded of something, is that somehow going to accomplish it? I would say that the one most powerful application you can make to your life this morning in order to walk in the calling of Christian fatherhood with all of its expanded horizons, with its higher standards of faithfulness and calling, 
that the one thing that we could apply ourselves to so that we could know that we're stepping towards faithfulness and not stepping towards worldliness is for us to look to the Lord in true dependence. In true dependence. Which most often takes form in in just a few ways. When Jesus left this world, he left us with three things. He left us his Holy Spirit. He promised to do that, and he did it. He left us with his word, and we even have it here written down for us in the letters of the apostles to teach us. And he left us each other, his church, so that we would bear one another's burdens and walk together to be able to confess to one another where we're weak, where we want to grow, where we know we need to grow. These three things, this is how we express our dependence in God, that we're looking to Christ and we're looking to the things that He left us. We're looking to His Word. We're looking to His Spirit. We're looking to each other so that we can run this race together faithfully, so that we can measure somehow our faithfulness to this task, this calling Let me point out one of those things this morning, prayer. I I think if after this morning, if we as fathers, if we as Christian leaders, as people who who want to direct others towards Christ so that they would find Him ultimately satisfying, find their life and their joy and their peace in Him, if there's one thing, one result, one bit of fruit that would come from our time this morning if it was that we all learned to truly pray prayers of dependence for this task, this calling, it would be an enormous leap forward. Enormous. The Lord, I know, I know the Lord would work through that in powerful, unexpected ways, glorious ways, ways that we would be able to pass down to our children and they could take from us and adopt as their own ways that they would imitate us and it would truly be honoring and fruitful for God's sake. Here comes the obligatory Spurgeon quote that every Acts 29 church has to have in its sermon. Oh, what are the agencies of the church? Apart from prayer, but the stretching out of a dead man's arm or the lifting up of a dead man's eye. Only when the Holy Spirit comes will there be any life and force and power. Only when He comes. When we pray, when we realize this task is too large for us, when we understand that our measure of faithfulness is in God and not just in your neighbor who has nice kids or not just in the church goer or the friend down the street or when the pastor and you see him with his kids around the table and they all bow together and pray together and they seem so respectful and so obedient. You don't see into the rest of their life, but this is their life as you know it and that's your measuring rod. When you dismantle that, when you abandon that and you see God is the measure of faithfulness and you have to, you have to turn to him in dependence and plead with him and bleed for the sake on your knees 
on the ground every day that you would be able to be faithful to this impossible task. Only then will there be any life and force and power. Only then will your kids look to you as someone to be imitated. Only then will we see fruit in our children's lives as a result of our ministry. Only then. I promise you, brothers and sisters, any work of our own done in our own power will be failing and will burn up. But any work done from dependence and faith in a great God who's given us His Spirit so that we won't lose heart, given us His Spirit so that we could see the path forward, so that we could know Christ and call others to follow Him, only in this dependence will we find ourselves in this place of fatherhood, this place of leadership, this place of willingness to serve, to fall on our faces, to bleed, to be reviled, to be cursed. We'll find ourselves in this place and it'll hurt, but it'll be worth it. So the call then for fatherhood in the biblical sense is that we would be willing to die so that those coming behind us could have Christ. This is it. It's not this and something else. This is it. So if that's it, we have to pray. We have to be together. We have to know the truth of God's Word and be led by it, taught by it, sharpened by it, changed by it. We have to. Otherwise, we fail. God's success is not tied to our success. If He wants our children, He'll have our children. But don't you want to be useful? Don't you want to be useful to the Lord as He pursues these things? As a father, there's nothing else I want more than for my children to know that I'm willing to lay my life down, that they would have Christ. Christ.